Are you thirsty for great Harry Potter conversations? <laughs> Welcome to Ravenclaw Readers. There's quenching conversations every week. Hello, fellow readers. Welcome to the first bonus or special episode, I suppose, of Ravenclaw Readers with me, Claire. And Ella. And Paul. At the moment, it is currently Christmas week for us. So in order to take a little break from our usual schedule, this is going to be the first ever footnotes edition of Ravenclaw Readers. I thought that footnotes was a good uh, good name for the bonus episodes because uh, in keeping with the literary theme, I think it works. It's a bit separate, a little um, extra bit to the, the main text that we are looking at. So this week, we are just going to have a quick discussion about um, what is canon and what should we take as canon, particularly in the Harry Potter series. So the fo- first uh, entry for canon in the OED is... The Oxford English Dictionary, that is, for you non-academics. Thank you for the footnote. Um, is uh, a rule, law, or decree of the church, mm-hmm. especially a rule laid down by an ecclesiastical council, the canon, collectively. Yes, yeah, so when I looked at it, just put it into Google, I also got to... Um, definition so it's a canon noun a general law rule principle or criterion by which something is judged or a collection or list of sacred books accepted as genuine so hence like the canonical bible for example um different areas of christianity actually have slightly variations on which bible they would use depending on you know catholic protestant and a few different denominations within that again um yeah so what does that mean for for literature then there's also the idea of the traditional literary canon which is the collection of um in in the west uh, a collection of the the important texts that one would have to study in order to glean Um, an understanding into like literary the literary tradition so I mean something like Homer's Odyssey would be in there Shakespeare an obvious one a lot of the ones that we're covering uh, obviously are pulled from the canon um so yeah that's a lot of uh specific dictionary definitions but how would you just loosely describe it in the way that we're going to be talking about today I think for me from a fandom perspective Mm. I tend to think that canon is what is official And you can get lots of other derivatives from that. But canon is what the author or the creator officially created as such. Well, I think that's definitely one definition of canon. Because you get, you know, what J.K. Rowling created. And then you get things like fan fiction or even The Cursed Child, which I know she approved the story, but she didn't actually write it. Yeah, we can get into detail with The Cursed Child because I think that's a weird one. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But if you think about everything that's now in the wider wizarding world. Of course, this started as seven books in the Harry Potter mm-hmm, series. And mm-hmm. for some people, that is just canon. It's yeah. just the seven books. Yeah. But if you think about what we've got nowadays, we have um, things like Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. We have The Tales of Beedle the Barge. There's Pottermore. There's The Cursed Child. There's probably even things I've forgotten. Extra little short stories that she's written. Things exactly. She, but then there's things she said. added. Yeah, and then there's also, say, I mean, her comments and interviews are what she says on Twitter. Like, how much does that count towards the story, for example? Um, Like, if J.K. Rowling says it, 
does that make it canon? I agree with you. I think a good place to start is that J.K. Rowling, I mean, obviously has to be involved some way, um, which I think she does have to be the author of the story in question in order for it to be considered true you know that I would judge it to use one of our the ideas of def, uh, the definitions that we were talking about I would judge it therefore to be more likely to be situated in in the, the, the canonical universe of Harry Potter so where does that leave Chris Child then because that's the first one that comes into question because as you said she kind of helped as far as I know she ha- she did approve it and she helped somewhat in the development of the story but we don't know to what extent and she didn't write it that's for sure she didn't write it herself so do we take chris child as being true do, do we do we do we think of it as the eighth harry potter book cuz i don't i would agree i don't mm-hmm. either and i know that a lot of fans have taken issue with it in that the characterization seems to be completely different from what J.K. Rowling established in the Harry Potter books. So um, I've read in snippets, I'm pretty sure I've read the whole thing. I never actually bought the text, um, but I've read lots of it online. I think I've possibly ended up reading it all, but I haven't read it cover to cover. Um, but I have read extracts of it. And, and yeah, I might have, I've, I think I've read a lot of it just over, over the years. And you've actually seen it, Ella. And I Paul's have, not read it I at have all. seen it, yeah. I actually have never read it and don't mm-hmm, intend to mm-hmm. read it because I've heard the reading experience. Yeah. It doesn't um, convey the magic of the stage production. No. And so what you do get, it it reads like bad fan fiction, as oh, I've heard yeah. some people this describe This is going to have spoilers for Harry Potter and the Cursed Child, both Fantastic Beasts films, for, for everything. So if you haven't seen Crimes of Grindelwald yet, then maybe don't listen to this episode, by the way. Sorry. <laughs> um, what I think, at least from reading it as a script, the characterization seems all over the place. And the plot... Okay, so you thought it was a great play you said that's what i hear all the time is people who've seen it say it's amazing and you said it even though you you have issues with the actual what happens in the plot you really enjoyed the experience of seeing it i did i think the way they stage it Mm -hmm. um and the the emotion that the actors put into the lines makes it come to life and you can see it comes together as a coherent whole which i don't think it does if you're just reading a script right and also the staging itself the magical effects Mm -hmm. even the pictures i've seen look fantastic it is it is an amazing work of theater Mm -hmm. um but i think it has to be seen on stage i don't I don't think it's the sort of thing you can read. But even if you do see it on stage, I I don't consider it to be part of the Harry Potter canon. Mm-hmm. I think it's an enjoyable extra, but when I'm thinking about everything I know about Harry Potter and where the characters go in the future, I don't think that they take the direction they do in Cursed Child. Yeah. I, uh, I was thinking under what... Um, if the characterizations were more in line with those outlined in the novels, would, would you consider it canon? I wouldn't, would you? I don't think I would no. either. I'd be more likely to accept it, but I still don't think I would. Under what conditions would you would you Well, first it? of all, it's not written by JK Rowling. Yeah. And secondly, my it's the fact that it's a different medium helps to disengage it. I think it was wise to put it as a play. Even though the problem I had really was with the marketing in that it's the eighth story and it's the the final installment. We had people in the bookshop coming in and saying, oh, where's the book? I can only find the script. I'm like, it is the script. Like people didn't realize that there wasn't a book form of it, for example. 
you know, J.K. Rowling herself has said, oh, it's definitely canon. So there it's it's a bit strange because I think I'm disagreeing with the author. And, and correct me if I'm wrong, Ella, but I think a lot of what happens in the play doesn't abide by the established rules that we've read in the seven Harry Potter books. So the way that time turners work is completely different. It's okay to do a bit of retconning, but that's that's not a retcon. That's just a different type of time turner. So in Prisoner of Azkaban, the time turner is cyclical. Like what has happened has always happened. But in Crushed you can go back and change the past and you can't do that in Azkaban. So that's, for example, that, that's a huge problem for me. Again, this is the problem, I think, when you do anything with time travel. Although I do think it's handled well in Prisoner of Azkaban. We'll get to that at some point. Um, looking forward to it. But um, the problem with time travel is things happen in the play that don't happen in the fourth, because they go back to the period with the Trivers at Tournament. And things happen in the play that if you're reading the fourth Harry Potter book, it's like, wait, am I supposed to be reading this with all that happened in The Cursed Child in mind? I just don't think that that makes sense. Yeah, I would agree. Um, It doesn't feel like it does abide by the rules that were established in Harry Potter. It just feels like there's there's too much that's different in it. And I don't know, I hesitate to say it undermines the Harry Potter series, but I kind of think that it does. Um, What about the movies? What do you both think of the, the adaptations? Okay, well, the adaptations are easy because they're not canon. That's that's what I think. I mean, what what would you say? I think like the they're just an adaptation of the canonical source. So you can't you can't have the both of them be canon because that doesn't make sense. Yeah. I mean, there. I guess there's canon for the films. So yeah, I mean, if you're looking at some, if the sixth film has to rhyme with the rules that have been established in say the second or the third film. They have to make sense as a coherent whole. Um, but the sixth film doesn't have to abide by what's happened in, like, say, the second book. I don't know. They're, they're like parallel timelines. Like, they're two different things. That's what I would think. Are there two different types of canon? Is that what you're sort of saying? You're making this distinction between film canon and, and book canon. I think it is interesting to note that when you look <clears throat> at... Um, fan works that are produced people do tend to specifically delineate between the cinematic universe yes. and oh, the really? book world yeah. it's it's very yeah they would always say which one they belong to um, so even within the fandom that's quite a, an established it's a very common thing across all fandoms actually I've noticed it yeah. seems to be the thing to do because they are different I mean even the characterization of Harry is very different in the films and in the books mm. I really do and you know um, I like the films they're 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 fine they're fun but i'm not a big fan of the films and you know what i actually really like a lot of the actors like i love daniel radcliffe i think he's great and i've seen him in lots of other films and i really enjoy him as an actor but i just don't think of him as harry Mm -hmm. like um we were talking about this and we said how much has the films infiltrated your imagining of the world and for me like not at all I think the only difference is I pictured them now in uniform, whereas before the films, I pictured them just in their plain clothes with black robes over it, because that's how it was depicted on the cover of the book. So when I was a kid, that's how I pictured them. But in terms of the characters, in terms of how they look, I don't picture any of them from as the characters in the, from the films. Me neither. I think especially if you think about Harry. I mean, mm. in the books, we all know the importance of Harry's eyes. Yeah. Uh, we've talked about that a lot <laughs> on this podcast. Yeah. And, you know, fair enough if you don't cast an, an actor which has green eyes. Yeah. Um, black hair green eyes is a hard combo so the actor doesn't have green eyes but you could at least put green contacts in because green eyes is such a fundamental part of harry's 
character. Or at least make the character of Lily have the same coloured eyes. I know people have gone on about that, but she has brown eyes in the movie. Exactly. really annoying. And it's like that meme, which is my favourite meme from the Harry Potter series, which is um, the Goblet of Fire bit. When in the book, Dumbledore says, did you put your name in the Goblet of Fire calmly? And then in the films, we get that, did you put your name in the Goblet of Fire, Harry? Like shouting it out. Yeah, the classic. I I love it and it cracks me up every time, but it is, you know, it's very different. I mean, yeah, I think the films are fun. Some of the sets look amazing. I mean, the Hogwarts castle looks fantastic. The music, the John Williams store is really actually magical but i i don't have the same love of the films as i like i adore the books as you may have realized yeah. and i don't adore the films i have a question so because i haven't i haven't may i remind you readers i haven't read the books <laughs> i haven't seen the movies in the longest time mm-hmm. and i haven't even seen them all i do um um i'm very interested by this uh and you you i thought it was very interesting you brought up that uh the the fans have make a, a distinction between movie canon and book canon and how important is th- what the fans believe in distinguishing between types of canon well, like um what we look to the fans to make that distinction do we or do we look to the filmmakers or the author so on one case on one hand uh we we say you know for it to be canon harry potter canon it has come from the mind, J.K. Rowling. Much like in Star Wars, apparently they have these levels of canon, Lucas and there's something, and there's something called G canon, oh, yeah. which is it comes directly from George's mouth. <laughs> now that might have changed since it's been acquired by Disney. In fact, it has. Um, so we're saying we have what we could call our canon. It's come from the mouth of J.K. Rowling, but we look to the fans to say, well, that is one type of canon. And the movies are another type of canon. I, I basically I want to know what role do fans play in distinguishing canon. So even the canon in the literary sense, um, these texts are chosen by a group of you know a community, maybe not consciously, but you know Shakespeare's works are within the literary canon because they were placed within the literary canon. Prior, just before we started listen, or listening, recording this podcast, we were talking about um, head canon, mm-hmm. which is a phenomenon of what fans. What is it exactly? A fan's personal sort of canon, or yeah, like exactly. what they believe. Yeah, head canon is entirely a fan conception. Yeah. Well, I mean, what do you think of head canon? Do you think it's um it's a useful thing that people do, or do you think people can get a bit too bogged down in it sometimes? Often, I think head canon can enhance a, like a fan's enjoyment of a series and often it's from headcanon that people develop um fan fiction yeah. and things like that and yeah. fan art like, and oh, so much it's like honestly it's never it, it is yeah <laughs> and i mean some of it you can think oh that's a bit questionable um i mean some of it's amazing um but i think without headcanon and people's personal interpretations of the work um you wouldn't get this sort of creativity mm. but at the same time i think headcanon can become problematic if, if... is personal interpretation distinct from headcanon i would think so because the problem is if we in the way that we're trying to analyze the books now i think it would become a problem if we started talking about things that dumbledore did quote unquote that aren't actually specifically stated or alluded to in the 
in the books. So one of the things we've talked about is that idea of like the sorting hat interpreting your values. So for some people that could be headcanon because it's not specifically said in the books that that's how it works. But I think there's nothing in the books, for example, that would contradict that reading. And it is suggested in the book. I think it's a legitimate reading of the book that that's what the Sorting Hat is doing, you know? So, um, I mean, I think it's open to interpretation. I would be completely happy if someone came up to me and said, no, that's not what the Sorting Hat's doing. It's actually reading your attributes. And I'm like, I think that's a fine interpretation as well. Um, so that's us trying to read suggestions in the book. And I think that's different than having a very specific idea of, oh, let's just say, well, the Dumbledore question might be a bit difficult because of Fantastic Beasts now. But, um, you know, oh, when Dumbledore was 63, he went on a trip to france and did something with you know no idea where that suggested in the book but if someone just tried to state that as a fact you're like wait where are you getting this from I, you know i think that's, well, I suppose that's, that's you, the difference if you turn to the example of the sorting hat mm -hmm. you, you you hypothesize how it actually sorts yes and you say well it sorts by by values mm -hmm. um that is as you say an interpretation but that the person who uh, for that is head canon then all future instances of the sorting hat will be read through that right. lens so you'll bend whatever happens yes to suit your headcanon mm -hmm. so it's not oh i have a good example so there's like a fan theory and it's kind of an interesting one that J draco malfoy is a werewolf and i've i heard that and i was like no way and then i actually read something or maybe saw a video about it and it actually kind of convinced me that this could be true so i think that's a really interesting interpretation and there's a bit of evidence that could point towards it. And I think that that's an interesting theory. But if someone were to insist that absolutely this is what it, this is going on and won't listen to any other interpretation of Draco Malfoy's actions in the sixth book, for mm. example, then that's a problem. Well, then this is like, this is a good counterexample of like where headcanon can be bad mm -hmm. because it can sort of um, block uh, uh, the viewer's sense of what is actually in front of them. So instead of... Yeah taking what is presented on its own terms mm -hmm. and they try to fix it to a an idea uh, which they have in their, their head well that's where toxic fandom comes from yeah, when yeah, people's head yeah. canon yeah. gets so intense that they kind of take ownership of the yeah. work and then their interpretation mm. is the only true one yeah it's interesting because as you said it can result in quite a lot of yeah, like, like really creativity creativity yeah. fan fiction yeah. some of which i'm sure is actually pretty good i've seen fan art is just amazing some of the time and mm. most of it is just invented scenarios mm. but it can lead it. to this toxic fandom mm. so what do you think this quote ella it's a, a quote from roger scruton it's it, so it's it's in a book about modern culture and this is um uh, a chapter on fantasy and imagination and the distinction of what are the things he says about imagination is the passions of the imagination do not precede their object so would that be what we were just talking about where it, the passions of the um, the fan fiction do precede. So the object, the future subject, the, the, is the, Harry Potter. Yeah, the book. The Let's, book. Let, we're the talking text. about the books here. Yeah. The text, the, the book. Yes. Um. So the pa Are you so so? Would you be saying that the passions that we have are derived from that object, from Harry Potter? Is that as a result of reading it on its own terms? Uh, as a result of the imagination that has happened because of our reading of it. Uh, yes, or uh, yeah. I want to. I want to talk more about Fantastic Beasts. I want to hear you two talk more about Fantastic Beasts. Well, the, the thing seemed... that yeah, sorry. No, it seems that um, 
it's it's brought up a lot of issues mm-hmm. of canon. Well, exactly. That's why I thought it would be something to talk about. Um, as a caveat, I am not saying that people who didn't like Crimes of Grindelwald, for example, are just upset crybabies. Absolutely not. I actually really enjoyed the film. I thought it was good fun. But there are a lot of cinematic, legitimate cinematic issues with it that I think, you know, people have. So I'm not trying to be one of those people that is... Um, just you know you, this is again this is the problem with i think some of the fandom stuff is that um it gets so people get so entrenched and it gets so divisive and i'm very like easy breezy with the films i, I i'm not super passionate about it i'm just like hey if you liked it great if you didn't yeah i can see where you're coming from fantastic these films are are uh, you don't really know where to situate them because on the one hand they're films but they are written by jk rowling um so how do they play into the idea of the harry potter canon well, I think if we actually look at Fantastic Beasts itself, it first started as a kind of special, I think it was a really short book for comic relief or something, like she wrote it for charity, and it's only about 100 pages, and it is the book, Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, which is featured as one of the reading texts for the students at Hogwarts, and she wrote it as the textbook itself, you know, it was Newt listing all of his finds. And then when the films got adapted... Newt the author became a character but it was it was very different from from the book itself um from the, the yeah the page book yeah because it, it wasn't even necessarily about Newt going off to find these fantastic beasts and then we see him in the film writing yeah, the book that yeah. they later becomes fantastic beasts like it, that isn't even part of it there are fantastic beasts in it and there's Newt in it but it is very much its own phenomenon so it's mm. kind of even separated from its namesake as such which I think presents canonical issues of all of its own. Part of how you read the films as canon is it's going into the backstory of like Dumbledore and Grindelwald now. And we're even introduced to this idea that... Okay, this is where I'm going to spoil Crimes of Grindelwald. Um, the idea of somehow having another Dumbledore sibling in some way we again there's there are a lot of there's a lot of speculation about how that will actually work out um but does that then change how we read the Harry Potter books because when we think about canon one of the things I noticed in the in the Fantastic Beast films is that the Polyjuice potion changes what you look like but it doesn't change your voice now that aspect of of Polyjuice potion is from the Harry Potter movies. In the Harry Potter books, Polyjuice Potion changes your voice. So I'm like, hang on, is this movie canon? So is this attached to the Harry Potter movies and not the Harry Potter books? But then how do we... I don't know, it's confusing. <laughs> Ella, do you think Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them is canon? Like like proper book canon? Um, no. Um, Even I... though it is written by J.K. Rowling. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um... I, I like you. Um, I really appreciated it. I actually yeah. enjoyed it more than I thought I would. I thought it was a good, a good time, yeah. and I liked I liked the nods to Harry Potter, mm. and I liked it when it worked. Loved Jude Law. Loved absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Um, <laughs> but I, I liked it when it worked in accordance with what we know from Harry Potter. So when we start to see um, the history of Dumbledore and Grindelwald, mm. that was something that was brought up in the Deathly Hallows, um, and so all of 
those things I really like but when I start to take issue with it is when it introduces a new concept which totally contradicts something that happened in the book yeah and for me again spoilers that is particularly the whole oh Aurelius Dumbledore Mm -hmm, reveal which mm -hmm. I cannot stand um because I just I mean, well, I, don't, I don't believe that it's true. I think it's going to be revealed that that's not the case. And then I think film. it's going to be a bit more complicated than it yeah, looks. Yeah, but, but on we'll the see. surface of it, I'm like, that mm-hmm. can't possibly mm-hmm. be true because we, we learned about Dumbledore's family. And why would she not have introduced another brother then it when she be... could have done? It just seems totally contradictory. My problem with that is it, for example, if there was, if we found out there was this huge, massive thing that Dumbledore was keeping from Harry, it would completely betray the emotional impact of when him and Dumbledore meet at King's Cross in the seventh book and Dumbledore kind of reveals himself honestly to Harry and that's such an emotional really really important point for that book and and for Harry as a a character and that moment that if if it was revealed that Dumbledore had still hidden loads of stuff from him it would take away from that Um, but this is what I, 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 I am totally happy for the Fantastic Beasts films to just go and do whatever they want to do. Um, as long as I sit down and have a good time in the movie theater. Um, I, I think for me, those films are never going to ruin the books. I, I, you know, I've seen a lot of people get upset and say that they, they ruined the whole Harry Potter books. And I can understand if people are upset about some of the changes. Um, but I, I just, I just don't think that it's worth getting that upset about because those seven books, they're always going to be there. You don't. This is where I think the difference is: is that the the seven books are such a complete series, like they are self-contained that you can read one to seven, and you know, of course, there's still a few unknowns and a few mysteries. That, that aren't completely untangled. But it does, like Harry's story does tie together really neatly. And you can read all that and not bother with anything. Like, I didn't go on Pottermore for years. I didn't see the first Fantastic Beast movie at all when it came out. And it didn't matter. I, I, I did, I, when Crashaw came out first, I didn't read it. And it didn't matter a jot because those, those seven books make sense together and you don't need any supplementary material to know what's going on. And I think that that, 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 that idea of them all fitting with one another and being self-contained is important to the book canon and that's why for me I'm pre I pretty much just take those seven books as the central core of Harry Potter and anything else is just a fun little extra where I get to like dip my toe back into the wizarding world but I never let it impact how I read the books so <laughs> so we've um we've spoken about um the the downfalls of of headcanon with the example of the the reading a certain method to the sorting hat and now this is a you know it's not a good reading because you're forcing you're forcing the the text to to say something which it's not um so how is that head kind of different from our distinguishing between fantastic beast canon and book a book canon so what how how can we say that fantastic beast is not book canon and that be okay but then say your head canon that Neville is secretly in love with Scrappers. What's this? Scabbers. Scabbers. Is the, and 
you know every chapter sort of hints towards this how how is how is that we don't accept that so what's the distinction there is is it because as you said you you can just you can still take the the fantastic beast movies on its own terms mm-hmm. but at the end disregard its its influence on the books yeah is that the yeah that's what i think i mean it comes back to what i was saying about these yeah. books being they all they 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 match up with one another they're consistent the characters are consistent throughout the the plot is consistent there might be one or two retcons but very few and they work um and and itself it's self-contained and it has a beginning a middle and an end and it has a, an emotional arc it has character arc completed arcs um but like i said the some of the things that part of the bit that I am supposed wary about with Fantastic Beasts and for example like I said loved Jude Law I thought he was a brilliant young Dumbledore is he the way that I imagined Dumbledore young Dumbledore in the books absolutely not no way but I thought he was great anyway so that's what I think it can just be fun this is where I do have maybe a little bit of issue with Fantastic Beasts and again doesn't really bother me that much I kind of like that there is a bit of mystery left from the books I don't want everything explained to me I even would follow up with that and saying that I didn't even particularly want the epilogue that we get at the end of Deathly Hallows. Ooh, oh my god. I, I personally yeah. would have been very happy if she just ended it after the Battle of Hogwarts yeah. and then, you know, it ended where we left them and then you can completely imagine where they go in the future. Yeah. I I don't I don't mind the epilogue, mm-hmm. but I would have been equally happy if it wasn't there and I could completely imagine a future for I... them. I... I will go back to the idea of having a bit of mystery left because I think that's important, especially to something that has to do with magic. Um, but just to br- bring up your point of the epilogue, I am I I would be happy, as you said, if there was no epilogue. And when I initially read it, when I was gosh sixteen, when was two thousand seven, I would have been sixteen. Um, I did think it was a bit sappy and corny. Um, but this is such this I every with every reread. I actually like the epilogue more and more. And this might just be me like getting older. Um, I'm like approaching 30 now. So um, I, I, we can talk a bit more about it later. But I, I was never one of those people that absolutely detested the epilogue. But I did think, oh, was that necessary? And I do take your point. I still think I would be absolutely happy without it. But I'm kind of glad it's there. And that has a lot to do with the major themes of the book in this idea of like continuation and the importance of love and the importance of family and the importance of support and you know um getting through difficult times and, and coming out the other side and I guess people's problem with it is that it's a bit too happy clappy and whatnot but um I I, I just think it really speaks to the the importance of love and friendship and these themes like I I did think we're a bit like, why is Dumbledore always banging on about love? This is just not, you know, it's a bit too sappy for me. But now as I get older and I'm, yeah, I, 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 I kind of can see the, the value in the epilogue. Well, I think the epilogue even raises some interesting points about J.K. Rowling retroactively changing her mind about things that happened in the book. She has since come out and said, since finishing The Deathly Hallows, the book, mm-hmm. that now, if she was to rewrite it, she wouldn't have put Hermione and Ron together as a couple. See, I am a Hermione and Ron defender. I'm going to try and convince you that they should be together. This is a plan for my because you're not convinced. I'm. I can take it or leave it. You like not... Ron and you like Hermione. Yeah. But 
I don't I don't know. I've just I think I never really imagined them being together. I don't dislike it, mm. but I, I'm not wholeheartedly behind it either. I am a thousand percent behind Harry and Ginny though, like a thousand percent. Okay, <laughs> I, yeah, I, I really actually don't have a problem. I know this is another thing that causes big issues, but the fandom is the idea of couples. I don't actually have a problem with any of the couple. There's one couple in the books that, in theory, I have absolutely no issue with, but I do have a bit of a problem with how it's presented. Scabbers and Ron. Oh, okay. Scabbers and no. Well, actually, I do have a problem with how that's presented, but it's. <laughs> Oh, yeah, um, I I think that the book is aware of that. Okay, for for me, I just pay attention to um, the seven books, and anything else is just fun, and that includes um, Pottermore. So even if it's written by J.K. Rowling, I I think anything she says on Twitter or anything she says in interviews, take I take with a grain of salt because to be fair to her. These things are changeable and and something she might have said in an interview like 10 years ago when she comes now to writing Fantastic Beasts or writing something for Pottermore might make more narrative sense to change that to to fit something else. And I think that that's fine. You shouldn't be held to what you've said off the cuff in an interview. Um, you know that you probably don't even remember she's done so many so that that I don't have any problem with her changing that that's fine um but even with Pottermore I feel like the stories or the character profiles that are written by her for example I remember them saying oh there's gonna be like a Petunia Dursley story release and I was like oh this is very exciting I I always want to read more about you know the, the um harry's like parents generation that's that's really interesting so i i was like oh, okay i'm gonna read this and it just wasn't even i mean i guess technically it was a story but it wasn't a narrative like there was no it was just as if it, the way that the story was told it's like you were sitting down with your friend at a cafe and your friend was recounting to you something that had happened to them the previous night you know oh i met such and such and they said this there was no uh narrative voice there was there was no um speech there was just this is you know petunia dursley as blah 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 and then this happened and then this happened but there 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 wasn't any like craft to it so am i supposed to kind of take this as canon i don't know it just didn't seem uh, it didn't it didn't seem like a, a story um in the same way that she she wrote that um I should think this was in 2008 or something. She wrote a short story for a charity auction, um, again, about like, like Sirius and James and their time in the Order, um, and they had some interaction with muggle policemen. And that was told, like, you saw the characters, you saw them talking to the policemen, you saw the policemen. And I actually really enjoyed that story. It's online if you want to look it up. It's re- I only read it, like, last year. And I sent it to Ella because it's really funny and I enjoyed it and it's great. And, you know, it's nice seeing Sirius and James together because you don't really get to see that in the books. Um, but uh, I wouldn't necessarily take that as canon either. But that little story for the charity auction was way more enjoyable than anything I've read on Pottermore. So I don't know what, like, what's the difference between those two things? And they're 
written but both by jk rowling have you read anything on pardon Alla or what, what do you think uh, bits and pieces yeah. but nothing that i can distinctly remember yeah um i think maybe because i wasn't reading it as all oh, this is canon it's like oh this yeah. is a little enjoyable extra a little mm. bit more insight but it wasn't really as kind of fully developed in the context of the book exactly yeah yeah i think that idea of it not being fully developed about um tolkien and like the cimmerillion so here's an author who has a lot of miscellaneous information all of which i would you know is considered canon surely well i think that Tol- see tolkien's universe lord of the rings universe is so vastly different from harry potter I, for me harry potter the magic is very important the um you know and it does have to be somewhat consistent but the mythology of harry potter is not the central importance of the books the importance to harry potter is harry and it's it's his emotional journey and his you know it's the hero's journey he's the center of it to return to the idea of pottermore or any of these kind of prequel stories i know one of the things that people really really want is like a for example like a marauder's story like something about them and i'm really torn on that because on the one hand i i've always loved reading thinking about like the, the marauders and, and their story and snape and lily and i really like that the previous generation but it's part of why that's so enjoyable is because there's still a bit of mystery there and the same with with dumbledore's past is you know it seems like we're going to get more of it explained in fantastic beast but does that rob the mystery of the series i don't know i kind of enjoy the mystery a bit but did we ever answer the question what is canon then <laughs> we kind of just mean, i feel like we have we offered our own perspective <laughs> in that we think the seven mm. books are canon and everything else is yeah. an enjoyable extra yeah. I think that kind of summarizes the view that we both hold. i agree is that a bit of a cop-out a cop-out yeah <laughs> is it well, probably, you, I, maybe you kind of have is, to draw the line somewhere <laughs> i think perhaps that is a cop-out but if that's how you genuinely feel yeah. which is how i genuinely feel yeah. then that's a legitimate viewpoint surely i think it stops you from getting upset at other bits of information because nothing can ever take away the value of of the books you know um that's how i see it um it doesn't matter you know all the stuff that's introduced about nagini being a woman that might slightly change how you read Nagini, but to me it doesn't because the Nagini that's shown in that film and the Nagini in the book is so separate in my mind. Maybe I have the benefit of having read the books when they were first coming out. So I can easily cordon off the books from anything else because they were so self-contained for me. And now the younger people who are reading the books all at one go uh, and watching the films and watching Fantastic Beasts that might be a bit more difficult for them to do. And maybe, you know, I am lucky in that way um, because, I, I mean, I had to live with Nagini as the snake character for years, like while the books were coming out. So it doesn't read to me at all as the same character. I'm interested in, you know, when did this sense of canon referring to the, uh, you know, the authority of one text over another sort of emerge? So it, it, that definition doesn't isn't listed in the uh, oed you know i suppose is it a sort of corruption of, of one of the you know the uh the definition we, we we read out at the beginning a standard of judgment or authority have we answered the question readers let us know 
but I think we've we've certainly, as you said, like we've offered certain interesting perspectives. This is from Gilbert Hyatt's book, The Classical Tradition, where he talks about the influence of the, the Greeks and the Romans um, on Western literature from Anglo-Saxon through the Dark Ages, Middle Ages, all the way to up until the, the 20th century. And he's describing, giving his criteria for, for what an epic is. Um, so he's not talking about canon as in what we think of as true in the books but this is what he says an epic is made by a single poet who relates one great heroic adventure in detail connecting it with as much historical geographical and spiritual background as will make it something much more deeply significant than any isolated incident however remarkable and causing it to embody a profound moral truth and I think you can read the seven Harry Potter books in that light. The seven Harry Potter books, and this is why we try to pull on the, the influences from traditional literary sources, because those influences are alive in Harry Potter as a heroic adventure. And I think that that influence isn't necessarily to be found in the other Harry Potter universe works. And that's why I'm happy with just having those seven is the, the core and everything else is just a bit of fun an extra bit of fun yeah thank you so much for listening we will be back to our usual format next week if you want to learn any more about the podcast please visit the website which is just ravenclawreaders.com we have the show notes we have all the information about the secondary text there if anyone gets a bit confused or wants to read over any of the synopses they're all there yeah if you want to engage with us please follow us on instagram at ravenclawreaders thanks folks thank you bye